everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage and from lovely... Is it Muskoka, Pierre? Like, technically, I've been there, but is it Muskoka? What's going on up there? Yeah, yeah, it's it's Muskoka, yeah. Okay. I'm up here. I don't have... uh, it's not Muskoka like you like you think of in terms of the big mansions. I actually have a cottage. Yeah, well, but I, uh, you know, as yeah. you know, I I've been there multiple times, and it is it is an, an exceptional place. And I understand you're getting some lightning and thunder, so a little bit of uh, summer Canadian weather, and that's something our guests can appreciate because Rick Tockett is an Ontario boy, but. Coming to us today from lovely Scottsdale, Arizona, the head coach of the Arizona Coyotes. Rick Tockett, how are you doing? Thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, thanks, Scott. Pierre, good. Um, you know, big fan of the show. Thanks for <laughs> inviting me. <laughs> well, there's a big prize coming your way already. So that's it. You're <laughs> off to a good start. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's start. Let's start with this, Rick. So you're um, you're in Scottsdale right now. Uh, tell us what. Uh, the pause has been like for you and specifically now as we inch hopefully closer to a return to play and a play-in round that would see the Arizona Coyotes and the Nashville Predators what's uh, what's the pause been like for you and and what are you up to right now for me it's just getting a routine guys Uh, you know earlier on you know you just you don't you don't don't believe like it's going to be that long in your head then obviously the seriousness of it um, you know obviously getting the news and stuff hey it's going to be a while um, to me, it was like I said, I, I had to get a routine. I, every time I got up in the morning, I'd make sure I did something, a little bit of hockey, obviously the workouts. I bought a bike. I haven't, I haven't bought a bike in a long time. I bought a bike, so I, <laughs> I rode the canal here in uh, beautiful uh, Scottsdale. I used to r- ride that a lot. And then, you know, learning how to cook a little bit more. Girlfriend kind of taught me how to cook a little bit and then some Netflix stuff. So, yeah, I stayed busy there for about a good six weeks of kind of routine. And that's uh, – I need routine in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, so P- Pierre, I know you got something, but okay. So, what's the Rick Tockett specialty in the kitchen? So, when you have Pierre and I over for dinner, Ooh, what yep. what are we gonna have? What's what's on the menu? Well, it's very simple. Um, I, I you know my, my girlfriend got this. It's like a ground turkey. So I go half and half white meat, a little bit of the <clears throat> dark, but not too much, and then a lot of seasoning, peppers, onions. I just kind of mix everything up. And then a um, lot of vegetables, and uh, that I'm a big like salad guy. So uh, I don't know if you guys like arugula and radicchio. I'm, I'm Italian, yeah. so I love that kind of lettuce. And I just kind of put that ground turkey on my in my lettuce and uh, try to. I was trying to lose some pounds. I lost about eight or nine pounds, but the last couple of days I put it back on again for whatever reason. <laughs> um, but that's what I usually. That's my staple for you guys. It's pretty simple. Well, and listen, we're just a couple of weeks away from training camp. If uh, if the league and the NHLPA are able to hammer out this agreement, and I mean, what what do you think it's going to be like to sort of get things going again after all this time off? I mean, you you know, coaches over the years have always told me, Rick, that from one season to another, you don't just pick up where you left off. That you have to sort of recreate your identity and and you know re-energize your momentum. Is is that sort of how you're going to approach it, or, or how do you see it? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I got a couple of buddies in the league or coaches of mine, and we, we always bounce stuff off, uh, and we all come to agreement. Like, it's, you know, after the season at pause, you know, you, you have, like, you know, we used to have season-end reviews of players' play and what went wrong. Um, you know, and we kind of look at, okay, what, you know, what happened, tale of two cities for our team. Uh, you know, the first half, you know, you're in first, and then the second half, the 
you know, we're two or three games under 500 uh, in a 30 game stretch. Like what happened? Um, and then, so you, we, we're trying to put some tweaks in our system. Uh, we're, we're getting a new lease on life for some players who, you know, maybe haven't played well, but they're re-energized. Um, so you're just trying to throw everything, you know, kind of in a blender and come up with that secret sauce. How do we motivate our players? The way I look at it for us, it's opportunity, you know, uh, you know, whether it's, it's right or wrong, you know, if we can win three games, we advance to the next round. And that's just an opportunity that, uh, you know, that's, you, you know, you can't take lightly. Um, it's something that our players are embracing the coaching staff. We're re-energized. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts. And now the, the biggest thing, and even talking to a couple of my buddies, the coaches in the league, it's, you know, training camp. How do you run a training camp knowing that it's not for the, 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 the 82 game schedule in the playoffs. It's, it's mm -hmm. really, it's a short runway. It's, it's uh, almost like a boxing match. You know, you're training for that, you know, short term, you know, the, for, for us, it's three games uh, to win three games. And then we'll worry about the second round. So that's what we're kind of going through now is how do you, how do you run a, a training camp? Then uh, the, the, a traditional training camp. Is, is it kind of weird because you've known your opponent now for, well, Pierre, whenever they released the format, mm -hmm. which like is a, month ago, a number really. of weeks yeah. ago. So, yeah. So you've got all this, you've got this huge amount of lead time to prepare, as you say, for what could be as short as a, a three-game series. Do you have to take care that you're not driving yourself crazy? Oh, my God, is it going to be Pecorini or UC Saros? Or what are we going to do about Roman Yossi? Or do you have to step back? Or are you really, like, every day going, okay, how do we take down the Predators? Yeah, um, great question because um, I learned a lot when I was in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, I really uh, with Mike Sullivan. We, we I loved uh, being an assistant coach for him. And the one thing he taught me is like worry about your team ninety percent of the time. The other ten percent uh, worry about the other team. And I, I, the reason I like that because most of the teams uh, guys, it's a copy of the cat league. Do the same thing. It's the ten percent, the tweaks, and that's what we're looking at Nashville. You know, what are they doing a little different than other teams? Uh, obviously, uh, looking at their personnel, things like that. Um, so we uh, we'll, we'll divide, uh, get into Nashville next week, and uh, when the players get back. But right now, we're, we're the first week or two. We're going to really worry about ourselves, kind of get us, uh, ourselves up to speed. Uh, I don't know if it's an advantage knowing that much advance uh, with a team. Uh, sometimes you over prepare, and I don't want to over prepare these guys and worry about Nashville too much. But obviously, they got some great players that we're going to have to devise some uh, some key, uh, you know, um, plans against them for sure. Obviously, uh, Roman Yossi is a guy that we're going to have to really keep under check. I mean, he's probably going to win, you know, chance to win the Norris Trophy winner. So he's a, he's a hell of a player. Hey, Rick. Uh, obviously, we're all living in this new world right now. And last week, the NHL uh, and they, I guess, they plan to do this every week, but they put out a release uh, about all the positive tests around the league. Uh, there's a Coyote staff member. First of all, I hope. That staff member is feeling okay. Let me say that first. But, you know, I mentioned this on TSN this week, but, you know, I, I think we've been asking kind of the wrong question. I, I, I think, you know, once the games start and everyone's in the hub city in the bubble, I think that's probably where the league is going to be at its strongest in terms of, you know, the testing and protecting everyone. I think it's getting there. <laughs> I think it's between now and there, like you're going to have training camp. I mean, it was last week a wake-up call just to make sure. Hey, let's let's again, let's everyone, let's let's have a buy-in here, and make sure we're going through all the things that we can control here. Yeah, it's a wake-up call because um, I got to tell you, our, our head trainers and trainers here have done a terrific job. Um, you know, I've been down here uh, once or twice just in my office through the back door, and they they have uh, 
they have it dialed in. You know, it's sanitized. They got to wear the mask, the whole thing. So uh, for one of the, uh, the ma- um, one of the guys, staff guys getting it, I think it's a little bit of a bad luck thing. Um, you know uh, how we got it, uh, but saying that it is definitely Pierre a wake up call to us all. Uh, you know, uh, this whole next two, three weeks, uh, you know, the question is how do we bubble ourselves so we can, you know, we can, you know, get to the finish line here without any, you know, going through your team. That's going to be the key for us. And yeah, it is definitely a wake up call. Yeah. Rick, you mentioned your, your lineup. I mean, the Coyotes are such an interesting group because you do have, you know, you've got Guys like uh, Nick Yalmerson, three Stanley Cups in Chicago. You got Phil Kessel, of course, was with you in Pittsburgh with back-to-back cups. But you have a lot of younger guys who are NHL veterans. You, Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, Christian Dvorak, who will get their first taste of. I don't care what they call it. I call it the playoffs. But in the play-in, will you have to? Like, will you do things differently with that young group who are going to face this for the first time, this kind of dynamic? Like, do you do something special with those guys? Or how do you how do you approach it where you do have a lot of your core group who will be experiencing something like this for the first time? Yeah, um, we have some guys that uh, they don't know what to expect. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it, I don't want to spook them because, it, guys, you know this. You guys have been covering hockey in the playoffs. and It's a different level. Um, every track, every uh, possession, you know, is the difference in a game. Um, so you want to prepare these guys. You don't want to over-prepare them. Um, you, you, you don't want to over-prepare them. But it's, to me, it's, you want them to relax. But the Nick Sharmelsons of the world that can really help uh, Phil Kessel, like Phil's big, uh, you know, he hangs with the young guys a lot. And I think that he can really help these guys understand that you have to have a short memory. Um, obviously, Things don't go well in a period or whatever. You can't let it linger because, you know, that's the biggest thing. Um, the one thing I leave in the Pittsburgh group, like, we'd have a bad game. And I, I've never seen a team let it go to the next game. And we play a different game the next game uh, where I think that's the experience of just being able to have a short memory. So that's the probably the one thing we're going to have to try to get these young guys to understand is, you know, you know, live in the moment, but don't let it linger if things don't go your way. Rick, you got Darcy Kemper back, I think, a week or two before the pause. And, uh, you know, this isn't meant as a criticism of your other goalies, but I think it's pretty clear that you're a different team when Darcy Kemper is healthy and in net. And I'm just wondering what you think, you know, the break will have done for him, but also probably important that he got some games in too before that happened. Yeah, um, for me, like and uh, I haven't seen Darcy. I know he's been in here. Um, the trainer said he's in great shape. Listen, he's our best player. Like uh, you know, the last year plus, uh, he's been our best player. We really rely on him. You know, we don't. We're a team that doesn't score a lot of goals. We we actually play very well defensively. You know, we don't try to give up a lot. But when we do give up, Darcy's been there for us. So um, it's hard to get your best player lineup uh, to get him back. And then in Rance too. Like I. I really believe you have to use two goalies in these playoffs. I, I, I'm not sure you can ride a guy the whole way um, because of this three-month pause. It's just like, a, you know, after a summer coming back, usually, you know, you never see a goalie in October just play like 10 in a row, usually. So um, you're going to have to have your other guy. So we're lucky to have Rance. I mean, our, our, our one-two punch is as good as in the league. That's the one thing we rely on. We try to preach that around your offense. Now our, our goal is to, how do we squeeze – you know, analytically wise, 0.3 more goals a game or 0.5. That's that's the key for us. How do we how do we capitalize on our chances? That's really what it comes down to because we know we're going to get good goaltending, but we now we have to score some goals. 
You mentioned that maybe this is an opportunity for guys who didn't have the kind of season that they were hoping for or or whatever. And, and Pierre and I had talked a lot about Taylor Hall this year. And I wonder what you your relationship is like with Taylor. And maybe are there things about him that have surprised you? And maybe what your expectation will be for him once you do get back and once you get into these ultra meaningful games in the play-in round. Yeah, Taylor wants so bad. Um, I just talked to him the other day, so bad to be in, play in the playoffs. Like, it, it, you know, it's been, you know, hasn't played a lot in nine, has nine years in the league, I think. Um, he wants to play so bad. Um, and uh, the one thing for him is, you know, is I don't want him to, you want something so bad that, you know, that, that it creates too much pressure on him. I just want him to play. Like, you know, he's had some bad luck here. I mean, he's played some really good hockey for him. I, I mean, I got to tell you guys, he's had a ton of breakaways and chances, and they're just not going in. And once they go in, you know, he's going to be a difference maker for us. Um, you know, he's a, he's a really interesting guy. He's a hockey nerd. I didn't know he was a hockey nerd. He loves to know. He wants to discuss things. Um, you know, that's the one thing I didn't know he was a hockey nerd. I, you know, um, and he, 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 you know, he really listen. You know, he, you, you know, he's made, made public to the to the press is that. He doesn't want to play year to year. He wants a contract. He wants to, to settle in somewhere. So, um, you know, this next couple of months is, is is big for him, and he's going to be big for us. He, there's going to be some key moments where we're going to really need him and a Phil Kessel to come through for us. Now, Rick, I have to get to this because uh, I, I thought of this right away when I realized we were going to have you on this week. Uh, we had Wayne Gretzky on earlier in the pause uh, in, uh, in part because I knew we were going to have the 87 Canada Cup final uh, rebroadcast on TSN, which was really a lot of fun to relive. And he had some great stories. But uh, I reached out to s- some of the Team Canada guys uh, for a story in The Athletic, and Paul Coffey was tremendous. And one, <laughs> of, the, one of the things that Coffey... <laughs> you're laughing already. One of the things that Coffey said is the summer after the 87 Cup final, of course, you know, your Flyers against his Oilers, he goes, people forget what the game was like back then. I mean, you know, players weren't buddies off the ice from opposing teams. And he, he, he remembers right after that cup that he was in a Toronto bar, saw you across the bar and made a point of you guys didn't talk to each other. But then, but then you both <laughs> end up at Team Canada's training camp. And he talks about getting on a flight to Montreal with you and, and making fun of your buzz cut. And then you guys end up eventually being roommates. Mike Keenan, the head coach, made a point of mixing all the Flyers and Oilers in the in the in the hotel room accommodations during that tournament, which I think was pretty smart. And Paul Coffey says, and to this day, Rick Tockett's one of my best friends. I mean, you could just talk about how that tournament, in many ways, changed a lot of your lives. Yeah, Pierre. You know that there was, you know, whether it's hatred but a dislike for each other. Like it really carried on off the ice, right? So, uh, you know, look at Michael Jordan, the Last Dance. You know, he hated yeah. Isaiah Thomas. Like, there's pure hatred. I, that's actually what Taylor Hall said. That, that doesn't really happen in the game today. Back then, there was hatred to another player. Um, yeah, that summer. I mean, that when we were in the finals. I mean, it, it was war. I remember like. You know, I remember hitting Wayne Gretzky from behind, you know, hitting him by the back of the ankles, <laughs> slashing him and, you know, going, going, you know, saying stuff, you know, in front of that with Paul. It's, it gets ugly. Um, and now those guys are one of my best friends. So, um, yeah, it's true. Paul Koff is one of the most sarca- funniest, sarcastic guys ever. He, he sees me in the uh, airport. And I got I got the buzz cut. And he goes, uh, you know, what's with the buzz cut? And he goes, well, I got to try to make this team. And he goes, well, a haircut not, is not going to make it make this team. <laughs> So just just like just like that, right? And uh, listen, I got a million stories with those guys, uh, but Paul, 
he uh, he was one funny guy, very sarcastic, and uh, you know I'm, I'm lucky to have those two guys as friends. Even Wayne Wayne has his uh, you know Wayne's the one thing with Wayne like he never wants to be traded like he's Wayne Gretzky. He's, he, he always wants to be involved in, in the jabs, you know, like giving it to him. That's the one thing I love about Wayne. Uh, he, he, he's not one of those guys that, yeah, you know, oh, he's you know, Wayne Gretzky. So yeah, everybody had to walk on eggshells. So uh, I really respected that about Wayne. So when you, when you were with those guys and you play some golf, as, yeah. as I, I think you occasionally do, who's, who gets the better? Are you, are you able to get in their kitchens or what's, how's that work out for you? Uh, well, it, it, Paul's very com- Wayne's competitive, but a little bit nicer competitive. Wayne, um, uh, Paul, I've been partners with Paul. We used to play golf all the time. And Pierre, I know you're, you're a golfer. We were playing up uh, Lake Joe Club there. Uh, this oh, was yeah. years ago. Yeah. And we set up a game. Remember Michael? Well, he's still alive. Michael Douglas, the actor, and Kenny G. So Koff knew Kenny G. I guess I don't know. We play them in a. You know, we're playing them in a match with a little bit of money, or whatever. And I remember playing. This is how competitive Paul is. So I'm. You know, I'm. I'm I love Michael Douglas. He's an actor, right? I love the guy. And so he'd, he'd make a shot. Hey, good shot, Michael. Hey, Kenny, nice putt, whatever. And I remember we were like four, five down. I remember Koff comes up and he goes, and, and almost in a year shit, uh, year shit, so those guys could hear it. And he goes, stop being so nice to these guys. You know, let, let's effing make these putts and let's beat these guys. Like, he was serious. Like, and I'm trying to be nice to these Hollywood guys. But that's that's the difference. Like, Paul Koff, when it comes to golf, very competitive. And, and Wayne is competitive in his own way, but he's a little bit nicer. Yeah, that makes sense. That's great. And and I mean, listen, the next year, uh, you know, going back to to, to yeah. you know what we're all dealing, it's going to be so different. Not just the the rest of the season, and who knows, you know, where the Coyotes will end up and all that. Yeah. But then, but then you got to plan for the most unusual off season ever in your entire life, both as a player and as a coach. And then, who knows, December or January, we get going again. How do you, I mean, have you sat back with all your guys and said, how do we plan this out? Or are you just trying to take this one chunk at a time here? Yeah, I think you you have to think out of the box thinking when it comes to this stuff. Um, you know, I haven't even thought about the, the, the whenever the January start, um, like our focus, like you said, this chunk we're, we're focusing on. Um, you know, we're, we're actually, we're trying to do a study, of, like how do you play without fans? Like how do you generate you know, you guys been. You know, you guys watch practice. Nobody's in the building, and, and there's practice. You know, you have some practices are just, you know, it's really stale, right? Um, how do you make noise? Like we, we're, you know, we have a fairly quiet team, and I've talked to some players. We're gonna, they're gonna have to be out a little out of character. You know, a guy makes a mm-hmm. big hit or make big big play. You might need 10, 15 guys, cheer the guy on as he comes off to, to create noise. Um, there was a, I think a, a John Chaika. He's always out of the box thinker. Always always looking at different things. And he was talking to, I think, a German soccer team because, you know, they were playing with no fans. And the coach, the manager said that was the biggest difference is like you could, when there's no, there's no emotion, um, it, you know, your play obviously isn't, is, you know, it's not, a, it's not to the level you want. So how do you create that kind of thing? So that's what we've been putting our head on, things like that with no fans. Um, we haven't even talked about the other, the other part of the season. Um, I think that this chunk is something we're really going to, you know, divulge in these next three weeks with the coaching staff. Yeah, Rick, listen, we're, we'll let you go, but I wanted to, uh, to to leave with this question: You won a Stanley Cup as a player in Pittsburgh in '92. I will point out here: 19 points in 14 playoff games. That was a pretty good run for you. And then, of course, back-to-back cups on Mike Sullivan's staff in Pittsburgh. And I wonder, was it different to win a, a cup as a coach? than you thought it was going to be and and maybe you know whether you think about what it would be like to win one with you with 
as a head coach and what yeah. what that is like and how much that drives you. Yeah, the ultimate as a player um, is definitely, you know, you, you raise that cup and it's, you know, you got 21 20, or 26 or at that time, maybe 28 guys that participated, buddies of yours that went through a lot to get it. Um, as a coach, assistant coach, you're, you know, you play a small part, um, you know, you're part of it and, you, you know, you do whatever you can to help. Um, and then obviously head coach, the same thing, you know, you got, you know, you got a lot of dreams, a lot of players in your in your room that are dreaming about Stanley Cup and you just want to be part of it. So um, each has a, a unique experience, um, you, you know, just to raise the cup and any level to be part of it is something. Um, that's why I was going to tell our players, I don't care if you're the first guy on the roster or the 29th guy. Um, the 29th guy is as important as the first guy sometimes. I, I, I remember the Bob Aries and Troy Lauren, he's making big plays for us. Uh, you know, obviously you got Yager and the, the Mullins and all those guys and Marilyn Lemieux and Kevin Stevens, but those guys, I remember those guys. It's no different than our trainers here. Everybody's got, everybody's going to contribute something to win a cup. Um, and there's nothing like it. It's, it, it's definitely worth it guys. It's, uh, to, to go through the attrition of, of, of the battle. Uh, it's definitely worth it. And, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky to get this opportunity and hopefully we embrace it. Good stuff. Well, listen, hopefully you and the rest of your team stays safe and healthy and we get to see how it all unfolds for real. So thank you for hanging out with us. And, and Rick Tockett, it's been, it's been great. Let's, let's do it again later. Anytime, guys. I appreciate it. That was tremendous. It, uh, it's so good to catch up with Rick, and uh, it's such a, an interesting career for him, of course, who you know, we began his coaching career in Tampa, and then to have those back-to-back cups in Pittsburgh. I think it's going to be fascinating, that, uh, that play-in round. Well, I think they all are, but this, you know, where do the Coyotes, you know, how do they come back from this? You and I talk about this all the time now, but especially, as you mentioned, with Darcy Kemper, uh, that's, they're an interesting team, and they do have some guys that, you know, they, they they have some guys that maybe weren't where they thought they were going to be during the regular season. So what do you think? Well, I, I mean, you know, Tockett referred to it himself. They weren't very good in the second half. And and so he's, you know, smartly, they, they looked at that and they attacked it during the pause. You know, what, what, what went south for them? Especially bizarre when it was after they acquired Taylor Hall. Um, but I think a lot of it was not having Darcy Kemper in net, right? If you really look at their their performance when he's in net and not in net, I think that's a pretty big barometer. And it's interesting to hear him say, you know, not just their best goalie, he's their best player, period. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what they think of, of Darcy Kemper. Um, and, you know, th- th- this is the great mystery of this all. We keep talking about this. How are teams going to come back after, you know, four months off? And... I think the teams like Arizona benefit the most because they can turn the page on on whatever was ailing them at the end and then start fresh. I, I I think it's a lot. I think there's a lot more anxiety for the teams that were rolling. Like I think if you're the Boston Bruins and you were rolling away with the President's Trophy, I think you're concerned that you know do you just pick up where you left off? Because I don't think that's how it works. And, and so I I think the you know the underdogs like Arizona are going to say you know what this is free money right now. This is you know, who knows how our season would have ended. We might've been out, but now we've got a second lease at it. Uh, I, I think that makes them kind of a dangerous underdog. Yeah. No, you know what I took away from uh, Rick's comments that I hadn't really thought about, but just this notion that maybe you can't just run 
one goalie. Like you and I have touched on this, right. you know, okay, is it, is it Pecorine? Is it UC Saros in Nashville? Is, you know, I know Todd Reardon in Washington has said that, that you know, it's Braden Holpe's job to lose basically as a starter in Washington. But I think Rick Talk is right on because we don't know exactly what the schedule is going to be like. And because there's no travel, you might be playing three and four or something like that. And then coming back after the long pause, you might have to go as time moves on into some sort of rotation. I, I, I just think that was I haven't really sort of thought of it that way, but maybe that becomes the critical part of not just who has the best goaltender in any given series, but who has the best tandem given how things may unfold. Yeah, no, that, that that was an interesting point. And I guess it means the New York Rangers could play three different goalies in their play-in series. Is that, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, but that was interesting. I mean, I know that uh, as the NHLPA and the NHL continue to negotiate the uh, the rest of the agreement, um, that there's plans for one or two uh, exhibition games uh, before the play-in starts. Right. So, so there's that yep. to consider as well. And so, yeah, I... I guess if you're playing three and four and you haven't played since March, it probably makes sense to if you trust your backup, which not every team does, um, that you go that that route. And certainly Nashville does, I would think. So you might see the same thing in that series. Interestingly, um, yeah, it, it, it's just a lot of interesting things. I mean, it, you know, kind of smart of John Chaka, as Talk had said, to talk to a Bundesliga team about what it's like to play without fans. That's smart. I'm sure a lot of teams are doing something similar. And how it affects, you know, how do you get your guys going? I mean, there's there's so much newness to all of this. I, I think a lot of the players that are going to benefit are the players that have played in international tournaments, whether it's men's worlds or world juniors or Olympics. I think the hub city bubble feel will feel a lot like those tournaments, and playing at odd times and 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 dealing with all that and and the the, the sense of fraternity, but also seeing players on other teams around you in the bubble. I think the guys that have played internationally for their countries in those tournaments will have a bit of benefit that way. Yeah. You alluded to this, and actually I, w- I was watching, as I always do, uh, your insider trading on TSN. I, I felt bad. You were kind of lonely, just you and James Duffy. It was, uh, <laughs> it was like yeah. a one-on-one thing. But um, you you alluded to it, and you alluded to it with Rick Tockett, but just how important these next two or three weeks leading up to uh, a July 10th, hopefully, start a training camp for NHL teams, just how important this time is. Because we, you know, we have had, you know, we've had players who have tested tested positive and i wonder is there a way to quantify just how important that buy-in is going to be as we get down this final stretch uh before we get to mandatory training camps and 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 whatever the protocols are going to be established by the return to play committee for phase three and then hopefully phase four how important is this period of time it might be the entire ball game and and i i have to admit that until this week i hadn't really figured that out because I was so focused like a lot of media on what life will be like during phase four in the bubble in the hub cities and and whether a bunch of tests could halt halt the tournament in in its tracks. That's still a concern. But the more you talk to people that are involved in the process, you realize they're feeling a lot better about that part of it because once all these teams are in the bubble, there's going to be, it's going to be pretty secure. What I think a lot of people are holding their breath on, as we saw from, you know, what the league announced last week with the positive tests is between now and about July 22nd. So in and around July 22nd, I'm told, is when teams will start heading to the bubble and, you know, play exhibition games and and settle into their hub cities. Uh, 
Um, it might be a bit later depending on negotiations, but that's what I was told yesterday. That's about a month from now. So in the next month, I think what you really have to be nervous about, and I think people are nervous, is that between phase two and phase three training camp, um, you know, what are players doing in their off time? And, you know, just going to the grocery store, hanging out with relatives, like what, like what's, there's no bubble. So when training camps, if they do open on July 10th, as everyone hopes they are uh, on the league and the PA side, once, you know, that day is done, I can't, you're, you're heading home. Well, what are you doing? And as a league source said to me yesterday, player buy-in and education will be huge during the next month before you get to the bubble. So that, so that really kind of made me think this week when I realized that it, it's really before the tournament that everyone's nervous about. Well, and I mean, can we can we be candid here? I don't know that there has been total buy-in, and I don't know whether that's through a lack of education or maybe just the length of the pause and just mm-hmm. you know people getting lackadaisical or just whatever it is. But and I, I talked to a GM last night. He's like, "Listen, we're we're concerned." Because there's been so much work put into establishing the protocols for phase two, which is voluntary, of course. And then for phase three and phase four, I think you're absolutely right. You, you People have to take care of their own business. And that means the players as, as well as staff and coaches. But players have to take care of their own house before if this is going to work. And I, 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 I think you're right. I think this may be the ball game. And so a scale of one to ten, what's your level of optimism that, that we can get there? Yeah, I, I think I'm, I've been on this for a bit. I, I've been a 60-40 guy, and I think I'll stay yep. there, which is 60% this tournament actually gets played and 40% it doesn't, which really tells you that there's still – I have a high level of concern. But yeah. I, I, when push comes to shove, I still think they'll they'll get this through. And, of course, there are so many financial reasons for both the players and the owners to pull off the tournament, as we know. But, again, there are a lot of uh, players that – right now don't want to play and are, are quite concerned and uh, and they should be and so it'll be interesting when the players finally vote on this and you know we wrote this last week Scott as you know but I think what's going to happen is the players are going to be presented everything as one package the the CBA extension uh, if the two sides can wrap that up over the next couple of weeks and the return to play phase three phase four agreement everything's going to be one big package and dropped on their lap and it's a yay or an A from there um and and that'll be that'll be it then we'll know well that'll be interesting because you know when you package it like that if that's exactly what happens then it makes it harder to say no right because what you do you you know you take care of that you know elephant in the room in terms of the new CBA um it'll be interesting to see how players respond to it if it is in fact hey here this is all neatly tied together um, are you in or are you for this or are you against it? But I think it's actually really because of the players that it's all going to be one package, to be honest, the way I've been right. explained to me. Because I think what the players have started increasingly to say in their in their conversations with the league is we need we need financial clarity over the next few years about what life is going to be like before we sign off and come back to play this summer. I mean, something has to mitigate the risk. And, and so that, so my point is having the CBA on the table w- along with the return to play is really more, I think, as a favor, as, as an impetus from the player's point of view more than anyone else. Although, to be fair, 
I know lots of team executives that are antsy and and really anticipate and want to see that CBA extension done as well for so they can plan out. Right. Good stuff. All right. So, uh, listen, I'm, I'm a bit sad because right now, no, who knows? I guess things could change if there's breaking news and we redo the schedule. But uh, next week, your favorite holiday, which will be different than so many of July 1st in the past. <laughs> I, I, will, I will actually get one. Happy, yeah. You'll get one. So happy Canada Day in advance to you. And we're going to take a little break. Uh, and you... Of course, deserve it, and I hope you enjoy. Stay safe, and, you know, as we talked about just before we started taping, put some sunscreen on, my friend. You know, that's better safe than sorry. So wear some sunscreen. you got to be better. Um, And, yeah. Uh, Also, you should also consider some of the other podcast options. Uh, Chris Thorburn. In fact, I reached out to Chris this week when uh, he announced that he retired from the NHL, former Thrasher, and of course finished up last year with the St. Louis Blues and uh, Stanley Cup champions. Uh, he joins Barrett Jackman and Jeremy Rutherford on We Went Blues at The Athletic. Uh, Rick Dollywall from TSN 1040 and The Athletic Vancouver joins Thomas Drance and Jeff Patterson this week on VanCast at The Athletic. And Aaron Portsline, uh, of course, uh, our man in Columbus, and Mike Russo, our man in Minnesota, uh, team up to look at the expansion draft of 2000 that welcomed the Blue Jackets and the Wild into the NHL. And you should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Please do that. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to two-man advantage on apple and if you click on the show url theathletic.com slash two-man advantage you'll get 40 percent off your subscription my friend as always fine fine work great day right on right on